0: This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and every week I talk with inspiring people who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. While running is what brings us all together on these episodes, it's about what's going on before and after the run. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today. And how getting sweaty has factored in. Today, I'm excited to welcome Andrea Barber back to the Alley on the Run show. Andrea is, of course, best known for her role as Kimmy Gibbler on Full House and, most recently, on Fuller House on Netflix. She's also a new author. Andrea's book, Full Circle, From Hollywood to Real Life and Back Again, came out at the end of last year, and it is so good. I read the entire thing in one sitting, which I don't think I've ever done before, and I laughed and cried. I did both a lot. I wanted to have Andrea back on the show because there was so much in the book I wanted to talk about, including how openly she writes about postpartum anxiety and depression, and I was so amazed with how she wrote about her divorce. She is a classy and honest lady, I'll tell you. And of course, Andrea is a runner. She's run tons of half marathons. She's run several marathons, and it was fun to catch up about where she's at right now with running and what's up next. If you missed my first two conversations with Andrea, you can go way back to episode 45. That's the first time she was on the show back in 2017. And then she was on again in 2018 on episode 77 when we did a live show together in San Diego. Andrea is just a really great, kind, genuine person. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. Andrea, I am so excited to have you back on the show. I am cradling your book in my arms. I love it so much. I'm so excited to get to chat with you about everything that's in your book and so much more. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, Allie, thank you so much for having me back on. I'm super excited about this because I don't know if people know, but we've kind of become friends since the last time I was on your podcast. So this is really just like having a phone call with a friend and and then all these people get to listen in on our private phone call. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. All right. So we have lots to
0: talk about because I know I said this briefly before we started recording, but I first of all, I read your book in one sitting. I cried like eight times. I thought it was going to be this like, you know, this nice, cheerful book about what it was like growing up on the set of Full House. And then I was like sobbing 45 pages in. So we have a lot that I want to talk about. Before we do that, I don't know how much of an introduction we need to give for you. But if anyone is just tuning in, let's give them
1: the warm up. Let's tell them who you are, where you're from and what you do. Yes. Oh, I forgot about this part. That's right. Um, okay. Well, I am Andrea Barber. I am from Southern California. And I do a lot of things. But uh, I'm, I'm known as an actress, as Kimmy Gibbler on Full House and Fuller House. Uh, I am a runner. I'm a mom. I'm the cookie mom for our Girl Scout troop right now. I don't know. What, what other hats do I wear? I, I don't know. But that those are the main ones. And uh, and I'm Allie Feller's friend. So Yay. that's one of the most important ones. <laughs> Wait, I need to talk about the
0: cookie situation because this is one of my favorite times of year to like follow your adventures because the first time that we talked which was probably like two years ago I think I remember being like a little nervous right like I grew up watching the show like I I was like okay I'm interviewing Andrea Barber today this is a big deal now I'm like can we talk about uh the Girl Scout cookies because last (laughs) I checked you were buried under hundreds of boxes so what's the deal there you're the cookie mom
1: I am. I'm the cookie mom. This is my second year uh, in a row being the cookie mom for our Girl Scout troop, for my daughter, Felicity's uh, Girl Scout troop. And what that means is I'm in charge of all of the cookie inventory for the troop. So I uh, went on Saturday morning and picked up 2,500 boxes of cookies. Wait. And they're all in my kitchen right now. Well, not 2,500 now because we've okay. been selling a lot. But, um Yeah, I just basically it takes over my kitchen. I can't access my oven. It's all about crock pot this month. And, um, and then the the girls will come and, you know, sign out cookies and then go sell them. And then I have to go to the cupboard and replenish the cookies when we run out of certain flavors. Um, It's madness. (laughs) It's so much fun. I love it. I love it.
0: What kind of vehicle do you use to pick up 2,500 boxes of cookies.
1: <laughs> uh, we just use, we have a minivan. Uh, my friend has a minivan and then I have my SUV and we put the seats down and we just fill every nook and cranny. Uh, they have it down to an art. Like these volunteers that do the the mega deliveries, they have it down to an art of, of, you know, they have someone counting and someone loading and then someone picking up the cookies from the the crates and the pallets and it's it's very well organized. So, um yeah, just two two bands. that's it. basic. <laughs> and I mean, didn't Felicity like crush it last year? How many boxes did she sell? She did. She did. <laughs> she she sold over two thousand boxes. Um, that is which amazing. was great. And I do I mean, I do have to admit she did a lot of work. Um, selling to her family and friends and going around our neighbor- neighborhood and putting door hangers. That's the new thing is we put door hangers on our doors with a menu of the cookies and my phone number at the bottom. So it's a little less intrusive than knocking on doors. But um, no, I also, you know, I'm fortunate that I have a great fan base um, and they they love cookies, too, and they, But we have flavors in Southern California that aren't offered um, in other parts of the U.S. So I have fans that DM me (laughs) asking for her cookie link. Um, And as long as I don't post it publicly, then I think that's allowed as long as it's a private conversation. So I'm currently having lots of uh, private conversations with fans across America, (laughs) taking cookie orders and uh, (laughs) <laughs> making it all happen, bringing the goodness of Girl Scout cookies all across America. I love
0: it. And I have to imagine, like, is it kind of cool? Because I'm just guessing, since you kind of grew up on set, I'm guessing, were you able to participate in the Girl Scouts growing up? Or was that something that you didn't get to do because you were a little preoccupied?
1: No, I actually was a Girl Scout <gasps> from um, from Brownies all the way through high school. We, uh, My troop hiked uh, Half Dome in Yosemite. What? As one of our big trips. And um, I still keep in contact with uh, my troop leader. She's very proud. Every time I, I post another cookie picture or, you know, she's just like, oh, my heart is singing. And I'm like, oh, Lynn, um, she's a great person. So I was a Girl Scout. Um, you know, it, and I, I was a Girl Scout at the same time I was on Full House, and we just made it work. Like, you know, we would have meetings whenever, you know, on weekends or times when I was available. So it was great. It was one of the things that kept me grounded and normal, and I loved it. I had great memories of my troop. Uh, we all still keep in contact today. Oh, you know, we're all good so friends. Cool. Yeah. I love
0: it. So last time we chatted, Fuller House was kind of new. I think you were, I forget what season it was on, but it was like, there was still the newness of it, of it like coming back and being very exciting. Now you've officially wrapped. How does it I feel know. to have wrapped sort of the second chapter of um this part of your life?
1: It's so sad. <laughs> I'm so I'm so sad that it's over because it um it doesn't feel finished yet. We, we wrapped season 5 um in November. And the first half of season five has been released on Netflix and the second half, the very, very last half of season five and the, the series finale won't be released until later this year. Um, but we're done. You know, the set has been taken down. A new show has moved into stage 24 at Warner Brothers. And it's sad. It was a really hard goodbye uh, because we just we loved we loved working together so much, not just the cast, but our, our cast and crew um, we were a tight family and we loved these characters and these storylines in it. And it didn't feel finished. I, I feel like there's still more stories to tell. Um, but Netflix decided it was over and we're grateful for five years. You know, five getting five seasons on Netflix is a pretty great accomplishment. So we're grateful for all of that. And I hope that the door is open to do, you know, a, a third renewal maybe a fullest house at some point (laughs) (laughs) when we're grandmas and raising more babies in the tanner fuller home you know you you never know never say never but um for right now it feels it feels um yeah you know we're sad you know we're going through a little bit of a mourning period um I miss everybody and I think it'll I am still sort of processing it um because I would normally have, you know, January, February off anyways, this would be our hiatus time and we would be gearing up to go back in May. So I think come May, you know, June, July, when we would normally, you know, be in season is when I'm really going to feel it. Um, It'll be like, Oh, you know, I miss my commute into, you know, Warner brothers every day. And I miss seeing Candace and Jody and laughing with people on the couch and, you know, seeing all my buddies. So we try to get together pretty frequently and see each other and uh, just have social time together.
0: So when you get the news that when they said it was going to be the final season, is it like an email? Is it one day on set in like a meeting? They announce it. How do you find out news like that?
1: I found out from Candace over Marco Polo. She, <laughs> it wasn't a very official way to find out, but um, that's usually how I find out these things It's either from Candace or Jody. Um, and they'll find out from our showrunners. So I had gotten a text earlier in the day from our showrunner, Steve. And he said, hey, we've been picked up for for season five for 18 episodes. And I was like, great, that's awesome. You know, so excited. We were celebrating, went out for a margarita, of course. <laughs> and then I got a Marco Polo from Candice. Um, we have a group, we have a little group chat between, a, a, a three-way chat between me, Candice and Jody. And she Marco Polo, and she said, yay, you know, that's awesome. We've been picked up, but um, this is the last, this is going to be the last season of the show. And it was just like a gut punch. I was just like, oh man, I've been dreading hearing those words (laughs) for five years. And um, yeah, it was, it was hard to process. And it was sad towards the end. You know, it's, it's, those are uncomfortable emotions, knowing that you say, we're saying goodbye to something that we loved so much 30 years ago. And it was hard saying goodbye 30 years ago because you know, we never thought we'd come back and get to do you know a second version of it and so uh, we knew it'd be hard to say goodbye again and so those were those were tough emotions to process but um, we got through it with a lot of tears that last week was it was a real tough week <laughs> there was there was just um, yeah a lot of crying going on. Uh, And it was a really big episode, too. So we were (laughs) we were at the studio at 5 a.m. every day and doing like 16, 17 hour work days. Um, It was it's a huge episode, but you're all going to love it. It's great. It's a feel good. It's a feel good ending. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um. I was going to
0: say, I know you can't (laughs) tell us too much, but did you get to have, I know you came on, you got to do an episode as a writer, which I want to talk about, but. Oh, yeah. Did you get to have any say, like you are Kimmy Gibbler. It's not like it was like a one time thing, like you're Kimmy. Did you get to have any say in where she was going to end up at the end or was it a surprise to you? (laughs)
1: Um, No, I do get some input I get some say um, Usually at the beginning of the season Is when we meet with our writers And talk about storylines And character arcs And and things like that So I get some say But normally it's a surprise to me From week to week Um, I I don't know what's happening Until I read the script for the next week I get it about seven days in advance Uh, (laughs) So, but this time um, For the series finale I mean, I think people kind of know How it's going to end If you've seen the first half of season five, um, you know that it's it ends with a proposal. Um, and so there's going to be a wedding. And so you kind of know you kind of see the direction that this is that this is going in. So um, but, you know, it's not without twists and turns and craziness along the way. All of the typical Fuller House uh, fun <laughs> that happens in any episode, much less a series finale. It's Did- great.
0: Did you keep or steal, we'll just say keep, anything from set? (laughs) Like, when you mentioned the couch, I'm like, someone had to have kept the couch, right? Or does that go into, like, some
1: Warner Brothers museum somewhere? (laughs) That's funny you ask that. No one has asked me that yet. And um, that's a funny story because... It was chaos after the last episode. We did our curtain call. People came down to the floor. I was in a daze. Like, you know, I had been crying so much. And everybody on the floor was crying. Um, I think everybody in the building was crying at that point. Um, but, yeah, suddenly, like, it was like a free-for-all. Like, it was like a free-for-all at a flea market. Like, people just started taking stuff off of the kitchen walls and the living room. And um, our, set, our set deck... Our set decorator Emma was just like, "Wait, hold on! There's a process to this. People, you can't just loot the Fuller House set." And so she was like in high alert. Our producers were in high alert, trying to like control the situation. Oh my god! And so she had to go track down some people, and because some of the things, um, some of the things were tagged and property of Warner Brothers, and so it depended on if it had like a number, um, like a sticker on the bottom of the item. And those, um, we sometimes we could keep it, sometimes we couldn't. It, all, it kind of it, there's a whole like registration system for these things. So um, to answer your question about the couch, the couch belongs to Bob Boyette, our executive producer. Uh, it's the original couch from Full House, and so he has owned it for thirty-something years. So that belongs to him. Um, I don't know where it is currently. Probably in a warehouse somewhere. Um, But, yeah, a lot of the property was (laughs) property of Warner Brothers. And so um, one of the funniest things is, (laughs) do you know that in the living room by the staircase, there's that old Mariner statue? Yeah. We call him the Sea Pappy. He's been in every episode. (laughs) I think there was one episode where his head fell off. Um, Anyway, so Jody had claimed that, like, early on. Like, early on in the season, she's like, I want the Sea Pappy. Like, that is going in my house. (laughs) So after the show she took his head like his head comes off so she just grabbed his head and ran and took it oh up to God. her dressing room and then a little bit later our you know Emma our set deck and our producer Coral come through and they're just like have you seen the sea pappy's head Like, oh my gosh. where's the head we heard this person had it wait no now we heard that this person had it so there's it this whole thing and I'm like well no Jody, Jody actually has it but I think she already took it to her car and she's about to leave so they ran down and they tracked down the CPAP. They're like, "No, you can't take the CPAP head. We have to, we have to get special permission from Warner Brothers to, to release the head." So um, they took it back. I don't know what they did, um, but it's it's now in Jody's house. Oh, it is okay.
0: I was like, "Wait, I need to know how this ends." <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell the story? So Jody, of course, is Jody Sweeten who plays Stephanie Tanner. Can you please tell the story about her signing
1: everything on set? Oh my gosh, see, this is what I miss so much. I miss these stories because they're so classic, they're so epic. Okay, so Jody Sweeten and the Autographs. Um, this is amazing. I have a whole YouTube vlog about this on my YouTube channel if people want to see how it went down in real time. But um, yes, okay, so this was a rehearsal day, and we were getting ready to do a run-through, which is like a like a we run through the whole episode in front of our writers, producers, um, Warner Brothers executives, and Netflix executives, so they can kind of see how the the show is going and where the jokes need to be punched up or anything that needs to be changed. So we're getting ready to do <laughs> our run through, and there's a table full of props um, sitting right outside of the the Tanner front door, the red front door. And what what people don't know is that you you know throughout the week and definitely on Fridays before our, our, our audience show um, there's lots of giveaways that they put on this table, like giveaways for the audience, giveaways for charities, you know, and it's, it's props from the episodes, like any, any extra props that they have um, they put out on the table and we sign them and, and they, they give them away. And it's a great keepsake from that episode. So there was a table full of props um, sitting (laughs) outside the Tanner front door. So Jody went through with a Sharpie and just like a crazy woman, signed everything in, on the table, under the table, next to the table. She signed everything and walked away. Our prop, our prop master, <laughs> picked up Jesse's helmet, like Uncle Jesse's helmet, which she had signed. Picked it up and walked over and said, "Jody, what, did, what did you do?" And she said, "I signed, I signed the giveaways." And he's like, "These aren't giveaways. These are props for the show." <laughs> so, He's got like, you know, these has got like Clorox wipes and like, you know, the magic eraser. He's trying, he's over there trying to get the, the Sharpie autographs off of all of the props. And this was right before run through. So we just had to do the run through with Jody Sweeten autographed props in her hand. And was she
0: like horrified? Did she think it was funny? Like, I would have run away. I had been like, I am so sorry. Like, hire someone else to play my part. What did she do?
1: Well, Jody is a very cool, calm and collected person. Um, not much rattles her. But this, she, she was actually so embarrassed. Rarely do I see her, see her this embarrassed. And this time, she walked over to me and she just looked at me. Her face was like the shade of a tomato. And she was like, I signed all the props. And then she just fell on the floor laughing. I can barely tell this story. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, so it, it. it was a running joke. Like this has been a running joke for like 2 years. Um that was a couple seasons ago and so <laughs> it just became like a thing. And our prop master kept hiding, like, hiding, you know, autographed Post-it notes or hiding things, like, in her coffee mug, which had nothing in it. But he would just, hide, like, have these little Easter eggs hidden for her to find, to <laughs> poke fun at the fact that she had autographed everything. I had to up the ante, and um, I just said, what can I do? What I need a really good prank. I got to get, I got to just really just... You know, grind grind into the fact that I got to make fun of Jody. So um, I printed up 250 T-shirts with her autograph on them because <laughs> our production office has a copy of all of our autographs um, digitally. And so I just called um, one of our production assistants. I was like, "Can you send me the digital file of Jody's autograph?" And she was like, "Yes." <laughs> and so I printed up um, 250 shirts, cut si- the sizes of everybody on the show. <laughs> passed him out one day. And I said, wear this Friday morning. And you know, you have to put it on because her call time is 10am. So everybody gather in the living room at like 945. And so we had all all of us, the entire casting crew had these shirts on. We were sitting in the living room waiting for her. And she walked in and she was like, what's going on? And then she saw what it was and just, again, (laughs) fell to the floor laughing. (laughs) Oh, I love it. This is the stuff legends are made of. It was one of the funniest weeks um, of the history of the show. It was great. We love making fun of each other. We love poking fun at each other. And this was just one of those legendary stories that she will never, ever live down.
0: So good. (laughs) All right. We need to talk about, I mentioned it earlier, episode 513, Written. By Andrea Barber. So Isn't that so cool? So oh. cool. And congratulations. And I mean, you're, this, you're such a gifted writer, not just in your book and on the show, but I mean, and again, you write about this in your book that you have a history of writing in various forms. How did it come about that you got to be a writer on the show?
1: This is uh, like, I'm still tickled pink about this. I still can't believe it happened. It was the coolest experience. Um, this just came up um, during one of those preseason meetings I had with our writers and showrunners. Um, I met with the writers, you know, I pitched some ideas, um, I pitched the idea for the episode for four dates with Kimmy Gibbler. If people have seen it, it's where Kimmy Gibbler goes on four dates, trying to determine, you know, if her feelings for Fernando are real. It's sort of a, you know, a shit or get off the pot moment um, for them <laughs> because they've been engaged, divorced, and engaged for five seasons. And so, um, you know, I pitched that. I was like, "How about we send Kimmy Gibbler out on four very different dates?" Um, and they used it. It was great. Um, and then I thought, you know what? I wonder. This is it. Like this is our last season you know, this is my best chance to get to write an episode, something I've always been curious about, always wanted to do, never had the guts to do it. But again, you know, it's it's the last season, this is kind of my last chance. So I asked our, our showrunners, Stephen Bryan, I said, can I talk to you in your office, you know, for a few minutes alone after our writers meeting? And they said, sure. And and I just said, um, you know, I I I want to write an episode of the show. How do you feel about that? And I know I don't have the experience of sitcom writing, like you know the other 15 people you know next door in the writers' room, but I have a deep love uh, and knowledge of these characters for the last 30 years, and I know them. I know their voices, and I I feel that I could, I feel that I can write an episode of the show, and I would love to be given the chance, if you would allow it. And they sat and they were like, "Well, yeah, yeah. Like, how would that work? You know, be." The biggest the biggest challenge to that was logistically how to make it work, because while the actors are over on stage 24 acting, the writers are over in a completely different building writing. So the it was just a logistical issue of I, I couldn't be in two places at once. So they said, well, you know, let's we're going to talk to Warner Brothers and Netflix and get approval. That's the first that's the first step. And then you know, we'll, if they say yes, we'll make it happen. Like whatever we have to do to shift the schedule around, um, we'll make it happen. And you know, in less than twelve hours, I got a phone call from Steve, and he was like, "Okay, Netflix is super excited about it. Warner Brothers is on board. They're all they're all super super jazzed about it." And I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" Um, so they chose they chose which episode I was going to write. They they found a week that worked out for the writers schedule logistically episode 513 came um, right after a two week hiatus break. So they thought this is good. You know, we we have a two week hiatus where the actors aren't acting. So I was able to come in on the break and um, work with the writers in the writer's room. Uh, so logistically it worked out great. And, you know, they said we have this, this episode, it's called college tours. And um, it's about Ramona and Jackson taking a tour of, of a college. And I was like, "This is great! You know, I can I can write to that." So um, it was so cool and so fun. It was completely different than anything I'd imagine, imagined. Like, it was like I mentioned before, I don't see the script until seven days before we start shooting it. So I had no idea. Like, there was this whole process and how much work goes into a script before the actor even sees it. Um, and it takes months. It takes months and months of preparation. There's a lot of collaboration. So when I, my name is on the episode, it says written by Andrea Barber. Um, And that means I wrote the first draft of the episode, but it really is a collective team effort. And so, you know, it's it's not just me and my words. It's a, it's it's all of us. It's it's the 15 writers in the room, and everybody's kind of punching up the jokes and and pitching ideas. And um, you know, it's it's great when you have 15 minds working on something instead of just one. So, it was cool. It, I'm rambling now, but um, it was just one of the coolest experiences to be able to be on both sides and to be so invested in a storyline. You know, normally I just read my scenes and that's it. (laughs) I don't really, you know, read any of the scenes that I'm not in, not all the time anyways. But this time, like they they gave me a podium, like I had a podium and I I was super invested in every single scene. And, you know, working with the director, like they're like, well, this, you know, this entrance isn't quite working. Can we move this couplet? Can we move this dialogue to a different part of the scene? And I got my red pen and I'm making notes and I'm like, this is fantastic. So it was it was super cool. Like I, I still get goosebumps. I'm still on a total high from that experience and no, and you haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come out. It's in the second half of season five. Um, and I'm, I'm so proud. Like I'm just so proud and so happy and so grateful that the showrunners gave me the chance to do that. And that the writer's room was so welcoming. You know, they were just like, yeah, come in, you know, like there was no, um, I kind of, I, I was sort of self-conscious. Cause you know, like I said, I don't have the experience like that they do. Like these people have worked for years and years and an entire lifetime to get Where they are. And I didn't want to be just that, you know, diva actress that's like, oh, well, you know, I want to write an episode. I'm going to come in and just write one. You know, I really wanted to learn from them and I wanted to be involved in every part of the process. I didn't just want to put my name on the script. And um, they were super grateful and respectful of that and very welcoming and open to teaching me everything. You know, I got to pick their brains. They were helpful when I had lots of questions. And yeah, they they just welcomed me with open arms, and you know I I didn't want to take anyone's spot too. That's the other thing. I'm like I don't want to take a script away from another writer that was supposed to write this. And they said no no no. There's there's 15 writers and there's 18 episodes, so we have <laughs> we have a few extras, and then there's a lot of writing teams on in our staff too. So there's two writers that work as a team, so both their names um, they'll both write one script. So there was a few there was a few extra scripts floating around anyways. So um, as long as I didn't take that that spot from somebody else, um, I was relieved. And it was awesome. Ali, it was so awesome. I just I can't speak enough about it. I could spend the whole hour just talking about that. But I'll stop for now. So we can move on to another topic. Well, it's so exciting. And
0: I mean, geez, you say red pen and podium. That's like my love language right there. But I mean, it really is so cool. And I can't wait to see it. And so Fuller House has wrapped. You wrote your book, is that ever something you would want to do? Like, would you want to do
1: more sitcom writing? It would be great. Um, yes. I mean, yes, I say that because um, I would love to do sitcom writing. It's it's very different than acting. Obviously, it's very different than acting, but just like even the hours are different and the commitment time, like you're just you're stuck in a room with 15 people late into the night, like you have, you know, dinner together every night, you get takeout. Um, It's just, it's a very intense experience. And I only did one of the one out of 18. And so I'm like, wow, you really have to like these people if you're going to work this closely (laughs) with them. Um, Especially, you know, in, in this one room where you're all just like hashing out, hashing out the lines and the dialogue and the joke over one episode. So yeah, I think I would love to do more sitcom writing. um, If that's an opportunity and, if that works with my life plan, I don't know. I've been an actor my whole life. So I kind of think that that's the trajectory that I'm on. Um, and if I were to be a writer, I would have to switch and just just be a writer. You know, it'd be hard to do both um, full time. Um, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. For
0: sure. So, So what is the life plan? You've done, you know, as the book's title says, you've done Hollywood, real life, back again. What's the next stage? Are we sticking with Hollywood? Is it real? I mean... You're acting and cookie momming. You're doing it all. Uh, but what is the life plan or what's on your mind for what you'd want to do next?
1: That's a great question. Um, it's still kind of a question mark. Um, I have something sort of in the works that I can't talk about yet. But I will say that I'm I'm going to give Hollywood, you know, the good college try one more, you know, one more time or maybe a few more times and see if that works out. Um you know, I I never planned to return to Hollywood after Full House. You know, after I left and became a normal person, I never planned to come back until Jeff Franklin called me and said, "Hey, come back and do this the sequel Fuller House." And so I had a reason to return. And so I sort of had the same philosophy now: is that if it was the right time and the right show and the right circumstance, I would absolutely want to stay in this business. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 sort of going forth with that philosophy in my head. And if it doesn't work out, I know that I would be completely fine living a very normal non-public life as well because I've done it both and I find both lives very fulfilling. and I definitely want to do more writing. Like, I want to write another book. I want to write some fiction. I'm, I'm interested in writing children's books. Uh, there's, there's a lot that I want to do. And I, I kind of just, I'm in the process of prioritizing and figuring out what is the best fit for my life right now. Let's take a quick break for a word
0: from our sponsor,
1: Aftershocks.
0: Every week I talk about my favorite wireless headphones, the Aftershocks Aeropex. I've been talking about these headphones for two years now, but here's why I first started using Aftershocks. As a new runner and as someone who needs a beat pretty constantly, I quickly found that I loved running while listening to music, so I needed headphones. I found some cheap headband-style Sony headphones, and for $9.99, it was pretty much a guarantee that I would run in them exactly six times before they would break. But I kept buying them because I had a problem. They were the only ones I could find that stayed on my head and that weren't an earbud or a bulky Beats by Dre situation. Earbuds don't fit my freakishly small ears, and as cool as my bulky beats looked while I was strolling through an airport, they certainly couldn't cut it on the run. So, when I discovered Aftershocks, I honestly couldn't believe my problems were solved. They stayed on my head, they weren't earbuds, they definitely weren't bulky, and they were wireless. I had never run without cords and wires before. And wow, game-changing, run-changing, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say life-changing. I've never looked back. I've also never needed a replacement. Unlike those sad Sonys, my Aftershocks have outlasted me on every single run. That's why I talk about them every week and it's why I think you should give them a try. So go to ontherun.aftershocks.com and you'll get $50 off your Aeropex Endurance bundle. You'll get these amazing headphones plus loads of other runner goodies. That's on the run.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now let's get back to Andrea Barber. Okay, we need to talk about the book now because oh, like oh I yeah, said, right. I just cradle it in my arm. So the book is called Full Circle from Hollywood to Real Life and Back Again. Everyone listening, if you have not already bought and read this book, you need to. It is fantastic. Where'd the
1: idea come from to write the book and why now? Why was this the time? Yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. This is a bucket list thing. I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to write uh, my life story. And why now? Um, it's because I have a captive audience <laughs> right now, to be completely honest. I could wait until I'm 80 years old and write the, you know about my life in its entirety when I'm at the end of my life. But by then, I think all of the, the Fuller House fans will have moved on and been like, you know, Andrea Barber, who Kimmy Gibbler, who's that? You know, so I thought, you know, I've got a lot. I've got a platform now. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have this large platform with a lot of people listening and a lot of people willing to to listen to what I have to say. And there were a lot of messages I wanted to get across in the book regarding mental health and anxiety and depression and going through you know, divorce and and single mom issues. I mean, there's a lot of things that I wanted to to talk about. And um, cathartically, there was a lot of stuff. I just wanted to, to write it all. Like I wanted it all out of me. It's been kept inside of me privately for so long. And I just I wanted to get it out there. And I wanted people to get to know the real me too. It's hard in this business Letting people know who you are because you get like it's all about sound bites, you know, you're on a red carpet and you get thirty seconds to talk about whatever, or you're, you know you're on the today show and you get two and a half minutes. Um, and it, and like people don't really know me. That's a sound bite. you know, the editors in charge of of editing that together. Um, you know, I really don't get a lot of time to share who I really am. And I talk in the book a lot about how, I, how uncomfortable I am with these interviews, too. Like, you know, doing the Today Show is terrifying because it's live. You know, you have, you have two and a half minutes to say whatever you want to say, and you hope that the interviewers ask the right questions, too. So um, writing this book really gave me a huge chunk of time to just sit down and pour all of me onto the page and share some very intimate details of my life and um, of my feelings and emotions and... Um, Yeah, this I say in the book. This is me, and this is all of me. And I hope I hope people find a little bit of themselves in there too. And um, the response has been great. Um, I mean, I I don't say that to toot my own horn. I'm saying it's great, as in people are people are the book is resonating with people, and I'm getting messages every day from people saying, you know what I. You put words into my mouth. Like I've been feeling anxious my whole life, and I never, I I was never able to explain it in the way you explained it in the book. And that's what I wanted to do with the book was reach out to those people and touch those people and start a dialogue about, hey, we have these shared experiences, and these these experiences are masked in silence. You know, it, it, it the the silence is what um, gives rise to the stigma. You know, if we're silent about it, the stigma wins, but once we start talking about it and sharing our experiences, um, that's when we can erase that stigma and you, you feel less alone and you realize that there is a tribe. Like we are a tribe of people with shared experiences and we are here for each other. Um, and, I, I that that was my goal. That's my that's what I hope the book has accomplished. And um so far so good. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean I'll toot when you were like, I won't toot my own horn, I'll toot your horn. It's fantastic. And even as I was reading, there were multiple times that I even I was like, wow, this is really uncensored. Like this is really honest and about so many topics. So one of the things that I loved was, of course, as you were saying, you talk a lot in the book about your experience with depression and anxiety. You're very honest and not just by saying, this is something I dealt with, but look how great I'm doing now. You really vividly explain what it was like during some of those darkest times. Like one thing that stands out when you talked about needing to take a Xanax to get through your wedding ceremony and what the night after your wedding was like and what you didn't do that night. So when you were writing this all out, what was your thought process in terms of this is what I'm willing to share and this, if anything, is what I'm not willing to share?
1: Yeah, that was that was a tricky balance because, you know, I find that I I'm, a, I'm an open book. I'm willing to be very honest with people. I have no shame about anything I have gone through or anything I have felt. You know, I, I'm very much an open book. But there's other people involved in the book, namely my ex-husband and my children. And I wanted to respect their privacy as well. You know, I didn't want this to be like a tell-all or, you know, I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus. Um, but I wanted to be very honest about my experience. So I tried to, I tried to keep it about that you know just my experience but i was worried because you know my ex husband his name's jeremy he he's a very private person he's not really on social media that much you know he, the hollywood thing he's just sort of like okay you go do your thing that's cool you know but you know as long as the kids are cool um but he's always very private so i'm just like god how is he going to feel about me writing about all of these personal details of our marriage and our divorce and all of this so I gave him a, a, a copy of the book before it was published and I you know I think he was a little nervous and I said you know here's a copy of the book let me know if there's anything you're uncomfortable with and um, you know I I, I want to respect I want to respect your experience as well but be honest about mine um, and he read it he said he just fast forwarded to the parts that he was in <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he read it he was really he had some really nice things to say about it it was actually a very um, it was actually kind of, it kind of some closure, um, the conversation we had about the book. Cause he said, you know, I, um, I appreciate how respectful you were in, in talking about, um, you know, our marriage and, and the issues we had and, and what we went through, um, you know, and it brought up a lot of memories and he's like, I appreciate the way you talked about how we co-parent now and our relationship now as friends and as co-parents, um, and I w- it was just kind of like that validation that I had never gotten from him about, you know, that what I, what I went through was real, like going through a very painful divorce and separating from someone who I had pledged to spend the rest of my life with, um, you know, those feelings and that, ex- those experiences were very real. And I feel like I finally got that acknowledgement from him that, you know, no matter, no matter how our experiences differed and, um, no matter how our thoughts and ideas differed, you know, he acknowledged that what I went through was real. And so it was a it was a nice moment. (laughs) This book kind of brought a lot of closure for me that I had never gotten before. I mean, that
0: chapter, the chapter about divorce, which it's funny how you preface it, you're like, "Ah, I left this chapter last, I didn't want to write this one, I put it off as long as I could. But that chapter, like, gutted me because you wrote about it. I mean, it was like it was painful, but you wrote about it really beautifully. And the part where because of course, after you, you know, as you were going through this, you had both your kids, you had Tate and Felicity, and you wrote about going out in public and having to hold it together, like to the other moms at school who would say, Oh, where's Jeremy and having to put on the Mm -hmm. happy face. And I wrote this down because it made me cry. You wrote, I didn't want to be the rock. I wanted desperately to have the freedom to fall apart. And I don't know, like my marriage is good. I don't know what's going on in my life that that just, I lost it. Like I burst into Mm -hmm. tears just at the idea of, you know, having to hold it together. And so um, that just really struck a chord and I think speaks so much to um, the book in general. But I mean, people don't talk about divorce. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are divorced and I've never talked really about you know, I ask, and I check in, and I I use the question that you acknowledge in the book, which is, how are you really? Not just how mm-hmm. are you, how are you really? And um, people don't talk about it.
1: Yeah, especially divorce. I found that going through the divorce. I didn't know anybody that had been divorced. And of course, you know, now I do. But yeah, people don't talk about it because it's so painful, and it's so private. And, you know, it's just... I don't know. It, it's hard to talk about divorce unlike it is talking about other common experiences um like maybe death or depression. I don't I don't know there's something about divorce because it is, it's so painful and raw and it involves another person and you just kind of want to keep things private, you know, you don't want to discuss your your demons with um with other people. But yeah, that part of the book you talk about or you mentioned with um, having to put on that happy face, that's excruciating and that can apply to anything, whether you're struggling as a new mom at home with a, with a a colicky baby or, you know, postpartum depression or whatever the, whatever it is having to go out there and just pretend like everything's fine. When you know, deep inside, you're not okay. That's a horrible feeling, you know, and, and hopefully people out there have their one or two trusted friends that they can just fall apart in front of. And I had that, and I'm grateful for that. But just on the day to day going out, like I said, dropping off the kids at school and just the the casual person or, you know, the teacher would come by, how's it going uh, like, oh, You know, you don't want to spill your guts to just anybody. So <laughs> you kind of do have to put on that, that happy face. And, uh, but yeah, I just remember being out in public and I couldn't wait to get back home because it was, it was so stressful trying to pretend like everything was fine also because we weren't in the beginning. We weren't sure what was happening with our marriage. We're like, is, are we going to put it back together or, you know what, what's happening here. And you don't want people to be a part of that. And like, well, what if we get, what if, what if we fix everything? What if, what if we fix this marriage and then everything is fine? I don't want people looking at us differently. Like, Oh, there's the ones that went through marital problems. You know, you just feel, you feel judged whether or not people are really judging you. You feel you know, those, those eyes of judgment on you. Um, And I just wanted to do it privately. You know, I didn't want people gossiping or talking about me and my marriage and these, these awful things I was going through. I just wanted to um, fix it. (laughs) I wanted to fix it. Um, And then when I realized it wasn't fixable, I just, I wanted it to be over. Um, So I could move on. Um, but yeah no, i think I think those are common those are common experience those are these are common feelings you know it 's not just limited to people who are going through divorce it 's people who are going through any difficult situation
0: well, and I think that it 's important to note too, and you kind of touched on it that these things, whether it 's divorce or or any kind of mental illness that they don 't discriminate right that you had a village, you had moved in with your parents, your whole family when you were married, you had moved in with your parents, you had some great people to lean on. But you still when you were going through postpartum depression and anxiety, right, that Mm -hmm. mental health doesn't care that that you've been a super famous Hollywood actress and super successful, it doesn't care if you live in a beautiful house. Like, I think that was really powerful to read about too, that it's like, you can have a really beautiful life and still have something that you cannot help. And I, I appreciated how open you were about not just sharing your experience with the postpartum depression and anxiety, which I also had postpartum anxiety, so I could relate to a lot of what you were saying, but about the process of going on medication for it as well and the struggle that you felt about deciding to do it. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um and just to your other point about <laughs> mental health, not or mental illness is not discriminating. Um, I've got a, a lot of feedback from people saying to me, "I, you know, I didn't think someone like you mm. would have anxiety or depression." And I, I, that comment just sort of rings in my head because, I, yeah, I, I had every reason to not have depression and anxiety. I had a great upbringing. I had, you know, a stable family life. I had a lot of advantages in life and I still got struck with with debilitating anxiety and depression. So um, yeah, hopefully this has been an eye opener to people that anyone, can go through these things. Anyone can struggle with anxiety and depression. And um, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Uh, like, again, we're all one tribe. We are all one tribe and that is our our one commonality. Um, but about medication, yeah, I, I was initially resistant to going on medication um, at the time because I was still breastfeeding Felicity. She was a baby. And so I was like, well, I don't know how these medications interact. With you know the milk and I don't you know I don't know I don't know about that so I talked to her pediatrician about it and I said I don't know if I should go on these medications and how safe is it with breastfeeding and it was her pediatrician who who asked me several questions and sat down with me and just kind of looked me in the eye and said I think you have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety and in this sense your health is more important than your baby's health you have to take care of you so. I recommend going on the medication regardless of whether you continue breastfeeding or not. And she was a, you know, this pediatrician was a La Leche league member. I mean, she was a huge advocate of breastfeeding and here she was sitting me down saying your health is more important than breastfeeding or the baby, Uh, which was a big, that was a big moment for me. That was a big aha moment for me. So yeah, I, I went on the medication and that, that to me helped so much in getting me out of that hole that I couldn't climb out of, Myself, you know, I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. I was going for my daily walks. I was eating three meals a day, thanks to my parents who were, who were nursing me back to health. And, um, but I I really think it was the medication that sort of helped get me out of that, that darkness that I, I couldn't quite pull myself out of. Um, and then, you know, since then, it w- it's it been sort of an on-again, off-again relationship, or it was for a while. I would go on it for six months and then slowly taper off the medication and see how I, I felt. And then that would be fine for a couple of years. And then I would hit another rough patch and I'd be like, oh, I can feel myself spiraling down into that, that dark place again. So my, I need to go back on this medication. So I've been in, you know, constant communication with my psychiatrist and, you know, I'm on medication right now. I'm not ashamed of that. Um, that's the the place I'm in, in my life. And um, maybe I'll be on it for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, maybe I'll go out. I, I don't know. But again, I, I meet with my psychiatrist every three months to reevaluate what season of life I'm in right now and how I'm coping with it. Uh, And that's, that's okay, you know, as long as I think as long as you're proactive about it and communicating about it, that that's okay. And, and there's, there's no shame in whatever decision you make. Um, There's no shame in that.
0: Absolutely. So I want to talk about how new kids on the block helped you get through your divorce. (laughs) And it's My funny because topic. It, it well it does like it sounds silly, but I think that it's really relatable that we all have like whatever tough time we're going through, like. You can find something to cling to that ends up being that little spark, right? So that's why I loved this part of the book. So, how was it that New Kids on the Block helped you get through your divorce?
1: <laughs> well, and people, I think they made fun of me for a long time. They were like, What? Why are you, who? Why are you? Well, people who aren't blockheads, you know, people are like, Why? You know, you're so funny. You go to their concerts, you go on their cruises. So that,
0: that. <laughs> okay, that part is funny to me, but only because <laughs> you used to like, you were the cruise person, like, when they would do the celebrity cruises, it was like, come on a cruise and you can meet, like, Andrea Barber in the Casa Full House. And now you're like, <laughs> screw it, I want to go meet New Kids on the Block. And you're, like, going on the cruises, which is just so funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, that. Um, <laughs> that's, so, that's so funny that you say that. Um, yeah, no, it's. I say that in the book and it sounds ridiculous. But yeah, New Kids on the Block helped me through my... <laughs> my divorce. And it was just kind of, it was my happy place. It was my escape. I would go to their concerts or I would go to that you know, they had a festival in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the mixtape festival. And I spent four days there right in the middle, like right before Jeremy moved out of the house is when I I went to this mixtape festival in Hershey. And I just remember just You know, singing at the at the top of my lungs and dancing, and it was raining, and I was just like, I was so happy, and I hadn't felt that in so long, Um, and it was a complete escape from the the breakdown that was happening in my marriage and and you know, back home in my house, Uh, and I, I needed that, you know, I I needed that to to remind myself that there there is there's good, you know, there's happiness in life, and just because you're going through something super traumatic doesn't mean you'll never find that happiness again. Um, so it was, you know, it was a release. It was a, it was a mental break from the stress and trauma I was going through in my life. Um, but it was also kind of a a larger reminder that, um, you know, you'll be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And it was something to look forward to. Uh, and I have so many great memories of, yeah, I've met so many great friends too. Um, through through going to concerts and on the cruises I have you know a solid group of friends that I've met on these occasions and um we love it there's nothing like a concert weekend you know or traveling for a concert weekend it's just it's just the best you know I'm, I'm planning to go on the cruise again in April so we'll be I'll be heading to Miami and uh we're going to um where are we going to Nassau. I don't even know what the ports are. The ports are irrelevant. Like I'm just there to to see the guys and to go to the concerts and to dance. Um, you know, it's, it's so much fun. I love it. it. It's great. And I think it, so it's silly, you know, it sounds silly to people who aren't boy band fanatics, you know, how obsessed I am with new kids on the block, but it's, it's, it's really just my happy place. It's my release and everybody should have something like that in their life.
0: Well, they feel like it's mutual. They like love you now and bring you on stage
1: and serenade you. Like
0: every girl's dream. <laughs>
1: it's very surreal. It never gets old. It's like I still like, oh man, that magic. I, you know, as I've gotten to know them more, I've been I'm so lucky because, you know, they were on the show and I and it they were on Fuller House and, um, it's great that I've gotten to know them personally, but that magic never goes away like that flutter that little flutter in my in my stomach it never goes away and I just get so excited anytime I talk to any of them and of course I get tongue-tied and I I say stupid things and I put my foot in my mouth just like anybody you know you get so nervous um yeah but I it's been it's been great getting to know them they're just they're great individuals and they work so hard for their fans to 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 give them a good time because they know that like the guys know that, that we're, you know, we're moms and we have, we work hard and, and we give so much of ourselves to our children and to our husbands or spouses or other people. Um, and so like the cruise is, that's our time. Like that is our time for us just to let loose and have fun. And so the guys really make sure that it's a special time. Um, they're, they're great like that.
0: All right, Celine Dion, if you're listening, please start hosting cruises. I'm very interested in going on a Celine Dion cruise, <laughs> and that's going to start being my release, like that would annual be Celine Dion cruise. Yeah, you know. So that would I'm be just, so fun. I want to go. She's probably listening. She has one.
1: Call me. Okay, we'll go
0: together. Awesome. Um, okay, one more moment from the book that I have to bring up because it is so profound. The moment when you the divorce has gone through, you're a single mom, it's the holidays, and you decide you are going to decorate the house for the holidays. Tell me about that.
1: (laughs) Man, it's always such a chore, you know, decorating for once it's, it's sound, it sounds so overwhelming before you get into the middle of it. But like taking all the boxes down from the attic and putting up Christmas from scratch, you know, that that's always, it's always kind of a chore. And then my first um my first Christmas having to do it alone, I was just feeling so sorry for myself. I was like, oh my God, can I even do this? Like I'm I'm five two. I'm short. Can I even put up a six foot Christmas tree? Like I don't know, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. So but I was just like, you know what? I'm forget it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it anyways. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna get out the ladder and I'm gonna get the boxes down. And and if I if I fall off the ladder because I'm too short to, to carry to carry these boxes or to put the six foot tree up. Oh, well, at least I'll have died doing something <laughs> festive. Um, but I did it, you know, it was, it was a Saturday. My kids were over at their dad's house and I'm like, I'm just going to put up the bones of Christmas. Like we can, we can put the ornaments on later with the kids, but I just need to get the bones of Christmas up. And so I did it. I huffed and I puffed and I, it like my arms were so sore, but I, I, you know, managed to do it. Like I put up that tree and I I put up all of the garlands and, Afterwards, I looked around at my house, and it, it, every, you know, my my nostrils were full of dust, and I was all sweaty and dirty. But I looked around, and I was just like, "I did it! Damn it, I did it! I just slayed Christmas!" Like this is the, it was the best, most empowering feeling that I could still put on a, a great Christmas and decorate my house, even without having a husband or a man or a partner. You know, I could still, I could still do that and, and do the traditions that we'd always done and and put on a wonderful Christmas, I could still do that, even if it was just, just me at the helm. Uh, it was a very empowering moment for me and it gave me a lot of strength moving forward as a single mom.
0: Oh, you're amazing. I love you so much. Okay, <laughs> I know that I've already kept you here for a long time. I'm not letting you go just yet because we need to bring it back to running. In oh, the yeah. book, you write about how, and I love this, you wrote about how um, you likened getting through your divorce to a marathon it doesn't ever not hurt you just get better at tolerating pain i mean that's a hell of a metaphor right there so you is this right that you signed up for your first marathon the same day you signed your divorce papers
1: yes isn't that profound um because it was when when nike was still doing the the nike women's uh, half marathon or no marathon and half marathon in san francisco it was a lottery so it's not like I just decided to to sign up and, and register. Like I I got in, like I got into the marathon. It was so hard. I had tried before in previous years and didn't get in. Um, so yeah, the day I signed those divorce papers, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my name into the hat. You know, I'm gonna sign I'm gonna throw my name into the hat and if I get in, it's meant to be. And I did. I got in and that was my first marathon. And I was like, this is a sign. Like this is a sign that you know, I, I can do hard things and I can do painful things and I can survive all of these hard and painful things. Um, it was it was a great it was a great achievement. And um, all of that running, all of the tr- those training runs really got me through some hard times as well. Just having that time alone to process to process. There's something about movement, especially running and, and you know, hearing your feet hit the pavement. There's a there's a meditation to it and a and a catharsis to it that, um, I mean you know you, you know how it is but there's just something about movement that brings a lot of clarity to mind. Um, it makes you you know it makes you uh, more creative. It makes you smarter. It makes you calmer. I mean there's just something so healing about going for a long run uh, when you're in the midst of of turmoil. Um, it makes everything better. And that those training runs really saved me in that time.
0: So where are you at with running now? <laughs> I was afraid you're going to ask the question. <laughs> um, last Wait, year... there's no wrong answer to this. Like <laughs> anything that you say, because when you're a runner, you're a runner for life. So ready? I'll rephrase it. I'll be your therapist. What season of running are you in right now? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, last year was the first year I didn't run a single race. Um, the first year in like eight years, I hadn't run a single race and that, um, you know, that was a hard pill to swallow because running was such a huge part of my life for such a long time. I was doing, you know, 15 half marathons a year. Um, and then last year for whatever reason, probably cause it was a very busy year career-wise for me. Between the book and the show and then writing the episode, um, there was a lot going on career-wise. And I was just focusing on that instead of focusing on running. Um, So yeah, so now it's a new year now. And I'm sort of redefining myself as a runner. And I spent a long time beating myself up because I would still run, but there was no regularity to it. It would be like, okay, well, I have, you know, I have an hour, Now on a random Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to go for a run now. And then maybe I wouldn't run for another week or two weeks. You know, it was just very sporadic. There was no sense of training or regularity. Um, And I spent a long time feeling bad about that. You know, I'm like, can I even call myself a runner? Like I have all these runner friends and... You know, Allie on the Run has asked me to go on her podcast. Can I go on the Allie on the Run? Can we change it to Allie on the Walk? Like, what well, we-
0: <laughs> first of all, yes, we can. We can walk anytime, <laughs> but like you know that that's crazy, and you know that you if one of your running friends was like oh andrea i didn't run a race in a whole year i did write a book and i became a writer and i wrapped my final season of my super hit show would you be like oh damn like you i guess you had a good year but sorry you're not a runner anymore you would <laughs> never none of us would ever say or do that
1: yeah you're right you're right i know i it's just you know you're your own worst critic and i i yeah. i just um yeah it's it, it we yeah You're right. You're completely right. Um, I shouldn't be so hard on myself and I am getting back into it. Like I I found I I, as long as you find what it is that that helps you in that season of life. So right now it's just just a lot of walking outside, you know, a little bit of running thrown in. But mostly it's like if I can't get out for a run, I at least I'm going to go out and and walk and get some some vigorous, you know, walking and fresh air and sunshine. And that works for me right now. Um, and I've just signed up for seaweed, uh Yay. in August. You know, I'm super excited to get into Seaweez. And so now I'm like, okay, I've got that. I've got that. I, I've signed up for CBs for the last four years. I usually can't go because I'm working on the show and the show has always gotten in the way of me getting to Vancouver. But, um, this year there's, you know, there's no, there's no fuller house schedule in the way. So I'm, I'm planning to go to Vancouver in August and run CBs and I'm super excited about it. So I'm getting back in the saddle. I love it.
0: Okay. So I don't want to let you go, but I've kept you here oh, no. for an hour. So, so fun. Oh, I love no, it. Let's do this every week. Be my co Oh gosh,
1: uh, that would be so fun.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about the we'll talk about that offline. We'll set that up. Here's what we're gonna send everyone off with. Okay. I need what would to everyone who's listening, whether they've read the book yet or not, whether they even know who you are or not. For everyone listening who maybe has gone through a tough time, whatever that means to them. Uh What is your message to them? And then separately, what would Kimmy's message to them be?
1: Ooh, that's a tough one. And
0: maybe they're the same, you know?
1: Um, To anyone going through a tough time, I would say, oh, you've thrown me for a loop here. I would say, um, and it's cliche, but this too will pass. This is a this is a season of life, and it won't always be this way. And there will be better seasons. So just hang tough. <laughs> to quote my favorite boy band, um, just <laughs> hang tough and hang in there, and find your tribe. You know, find your find your people that you can be honest with and um, hold them tight, and don't let them go. Um, and what Kimmy Gibbler would say. She she would say, you know, get up and do the Gibbler Gallop, like just like, go for it. Let's have a dance party. That's what she would say. I'm into you that. Know?
0: I think that's the best advice possible. Dance parties can solve a lot, or not even solve, but like temporary alleviate a lot of what you're feeling. So I'm I'm team dance party all the
1: way. Totally. Put on your favorite song and and blast the blast the radio and and just dance your little heart out.
0: <laughs> well, I have loved this conversation as always. It's such a treat to get to catch up with you over the course of an hour. And I'm just really grateful for everything that you've shared here on the show in your book. And, you know, of course, on your YouTube channel and everywhere. It's just it's refreshing and it's honest. And you are just a gift to this world.
1: Oh, thank you, Allie. I just I love I love your podcast so much. I'm a regular listener. I think you're so good at what you do and bringing out the best in your guests. And so it's it's always great to talk to you. It's great talking to you on your podcast. And then one of these days, I'm going to get to New Jersey and I'm going to see you and give Annie a big hug and play ball with Ellie and give you a huge hug as well. And we can, we can chat over some wine in person. That sounds amazing. Bring some Thin Mints. Yes. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Alley on the Run show. And of course, thank you to the amazing, kind, and talented Andrea Barber for sharing her story with all of us. Andrea, you're a treasure, and it is a privilege to know you and call you a friend. If you haven't read Andrea's book, now is the time. Go get it. It's called Full Circle, From Hollywood to Real Life and Back Again, and I'll make sure I include a link to that in the show notes for this episode. Now... Just a few quick asks and reminders before I sign off here. First, there's a new ally on the Run show, Best Running Friends Facebook group. We'd love for you to join us in there. There's some great conversation happening about all things running, our own running, the running industry, running podcasts, basically whatever's on our mind, which for most people is what's going on in their running life. And then I chime in wanting to talk about This Is Us every week. So really fun place where you can share whatever's on your mind and everything is welcomed as long as you are kind. It's a fun happy corner of the internet and I'm really excited about it. Second, the best way to show your support for the Alley on the Run show is to share it in real life, on social media, whatever you're loving, go tell someone about it. It's fun to grow the show and see where we can take this. And of course, it helps if you leave a rating and review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts reading kind reviews warms my heart and I screenshot them and I read them when I'm stressed or I'm having a moment of like, why am I doing this? So thank you. You always bring me back and I appreciate it. Remember, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ally on the Run 1 and on the Ally on the Run Facebook page, as well as in that aforementioned Ally on the Run show Facebook group. Finally, let's give it up for our wonderful sponsor, Aftershocks, for making this episode possible and for making the very best wireless headphones for runners. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off your pair. Now, go make it a great day, and thanks for joining me on the run.